I'm Julie. I'm Kristen. I'm Kate. And welcome to Topical Island. Each week, one of us will deep dive into a topic that interests us. Have you ever wondered how to become a Disney princess? Is diva behavior acceptable? And what does it have to do with the opera? Will we get to work from home forever, ever? Join us as we answer these questions and more. As each week, we will take you to a different topical island. Good evening, my friends. Good evening, island hoppers, or whatever time of day it is for you. Um, Kate and Kristen, what is happening? Kate, what's new this week? Uh, It's been an interesting week. It's the first week that Tenley's been back at daycare. She's still only going three days a week because she's still going to preschool in the afternoons. But yeah, it's just been, it's been busy. It's been a new routine. She was home sick with me the week before. Um, so it, it's just been, it's been a busy week. How about you, Kristen? Busy week? Yeah, well, I, I did want to touch on something that Kate sent a message today about the last post fund. I heard it on the CBC. home stretch. The home the stretch. Oh, that's cool. Stretch. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. So mm-hmm. I don't, I, so in a previous podcast, uh, was it the last? It was a few ago, right? A few ago. I um, had mentioned about the last post fund, which is this wonderful organization that puts up um, tombs for veterans who weren't marked in the cemetery. And so they had their press conference today, which I was a part of. And you were at the, the thing press that, conference? I was at the press conference at the cemetery today. Yeah, so that was fun. Amazing. And super touching and amazing. But uh, I did have something funny happen to me today. So it was wonderful. And please Google the story if you're unfamiliar. But um, I was a reporter came up to me today at the end of it. I was a, I'm a volunteer in this program and said, or we were chatting and he's like, can I talk to you? You're a volunteer, all this. And he's like, do you speak French? Now, I, the, both of you, I feel like, speak probably the same amount of French that I do. I mean, Julie, you have some family history that's French. But we no. all did French immersion. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I uh, assume, unless you've done some extracurriculars that have helped you maintain that French, that you would have nope. felt the same way that I did in that situation, which was... <laughs> Kind, kind of, I do speak French. Anyways, I mean, I so, definitely do on my resume, yeah, but exactly. I probably wouldn't be too confident in having a reporter ask me for an interview in French. <laughs> That's exactly true because I have it on my LinkedIn profile, and I was like, "Do I need to take it off now?" Because I feel like if he searches me, he's gonna be like, "I need to fact check this." But anyway, so he was absolutely wonderful. He was actually. Uh, a reporter from France and I again was I was like my accent would have been from Quebecois instructors like and he was like no no it's all the same it's just a slightly different accent so he was very nice I don't know if he was just thrilled to find someone who sort of spoke French in Alberta anyway he did ask me some questions I did I did like get my way through this in French and he was very delightful about it which was half the battle you know sometimes as if someone's encouraging, it, it can help you out. But so I did conduct sort of an interview in French today. That's, That's amazing. <laughs> Good. So for- well, and you know what I think? It, yeah, who was it for? So they were from France. Was it for? So it was Radio Canada, Radio Canada, like CBC. So he's just a, a, okay. a man from France, but he happens to work for like the CBC. 
the French awesome. version. Mm-hmm. And it's true what you say. I think that makes all the difference when they're encouraging because I know I've been to Quebec City and yeah. just going into the tourist center and asking for directions or I forget what we were talking about. And I kind of said in French, you know, my French isn't great. And they were like, no, they were just so excited for me to try um, and like wanted me to get the practice that they were yeah. super friendly, super encouraging. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm awesome at this. <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely right. It totally helps because you're because I and I've been in the opposite situation where someone's like, "Ugh, you don't speak French," or then they start speaking English to you, and so that mm-hmm. really does make you go like, "Oh, maybe I don't." But the, yeah, this was definitely the opposite of that. But that's awesome. And yes, like I said, I sent that text after I had heard it on the home stretch, and I was just so excited. I mean, and as I said in the text, between that and CBC's reporting on the the anting of the crow, like, Kristen, you're just ticking all the boxes for CBC. <laughs> yeah. At first, I thought I wouldn't have been surprised if you said you were at the cemetery and a reporter came up to you and said, are you Kristen from Topical Island? It's <laughs> <laughs> a level we're trying to obtain. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. Well done. I, I'm going to go if- seek out this interview. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, I'm afraid to find this interview and I, but I, I have seen but some. But we will print, be linking it to our art. social media. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. If we can find it, then we will. Um, <laughs> definitely. Um, Julie, what about you? You know, um, a lot of restrictions have been lifted here in Alberta um, and so last weekend we went to Heritage Park because it is back open. Lovely. And it was just so nice to be out and about again. Have well, Kristen, I was with you there in the fall, but um mm. it was that was kind of one of my last outings before whatever lockdown two, I guess that was. Um yeah. and it was just nice to be out, and it's such a nice um, setting because you can kind of do the quiet stuff. You can do the more busy stuff with the rides and that, or you can kind of mix it up. And I just thought it was, it was just a real treat, um, to be out there. And like, it's really well suited for, um, obviously for families. And, uh, my daughter who's five just had the time of her life. So it was really, really nice. And I want to just bookend the story I shared last week about the fox who stepped up to me. Oh, yes. Please do. Mm-hmm. Please do. Yes. I will preface this by saying that she, we now know it's a she, has moved on and doesn't live under my deck anymore. But um, one oh. night at about two in the morning, I hear. Oh, no. So this little pitter-patter, pitter-patter, pitter, which sounded a lot like one of my cats running across the deck, but no, two fox pups were playing on my deck and wrestling in the middle of the night. Yeah, they they only come out in the night, the little ones anyway. Yes, so for a moment there, that that explains why the mom was so brazen. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Uh, yeah, so they were living there, and they were so, so flipping cute. Um, so cute. That said, I am glad that they have since moved on, mm-hmm. and that we didn't have to do any kind of control or subterfuge to get them out of there. So, 
Um, but I just wanted to bookend the tale of spring animals here on the ranch. So, uh, but hopefully for that particular family, they have moved on and all is well with them. And yeah, they don't, don't need to come back and step to me again, but we'll see what happens. Well, Kate, I'd love to know where are you taking us today? So today, as I said before, I'm only bilingual on my resume. So pardon my French, il faut souffrir pour être belle, which roughly translates to pain is beauty or beauty is pain. And so it's a saying that I know I've said um, before, and it's often used to explain the trouble that people will go through specifically women, um, to maintain their looks or stay on top of the trends Ooh. of the day. Ooh. And so I've picked out a few, what Ooh. I think are particularly horrific trends of history. So I'm interested in the conversation we're about to have after talking about some of these things. But after reading these and thinking, oh my goodness, I can't believe they did that back then. I'm also not sure that we're that far ahead in 2021 in terms of what people are willing to do to keep up with the Kardashians, shall we say. You know, I think that's a perfect analogy because that is a very specific look that if you don't, gosh, with the the very tiny waist, but the very big bum and the big breasts and the a very highly structured look, especially the young one there who's, um, oh, I'm mm, sure we've all seen Jenner, those yeah. photos of her when she's like, you know, 13 years old and then not, not like four or five years later. Mm -hmm. Whoa, whoa, whoa. A lot, a lot of things, mm -hmm. a lot of probably very painful work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, beauty is defined as a combination of qualities such as shape, color, and form that pleases the aesthetic senses, but specifically sight. And so that's also where the saying comes from. Uh, the beauty is in the eye of the beholder. So everybody has different tastes. They find different things beautiful in their own way. But of course, we are all part of a society that, for better or worse, can deem certain things more acceptable than others or certain things more attractive than others or mm -hmm. perceived attraction. And so we tend to fall into wanting to follow those rules when it comes to beauty. And so number one, I want to talk about corset. In an effort to appear as thin as possible, women in the 19th century would wear corsets, which were often enforced with metal. They would wear these, so, oh, it says some would wear these devices responsibly. Well, others tried to force their bodies into smaller and smaller frames, which would cause digestive issues and even broken ribs. Yeah, you just broke a couple ribs. It's okay. You look great. It's just, it's fascinating to me. And I mean, corsets are still worn today, but not to the extreme that they were at the time by the majority of the population. So they were worn for centuries. However, in the 1890s was a particularly dangerous time in which the, the more cinched your waist was, the more beautiful it was considered. And so, you know, I think I immediately picture a woman hanging onto a, a olden day bed post and being pulled by her handmaid. Right. But they would mash your internal organs together and cause shortnesses of breath, broken ribs, as I mentioned, and would definitely um, either cause or worsen any, any health problems that you currently had if it was like a gastrointestinal or a gastro... Um, esophagus, reflux. Those are all words 
that I'm not sure that are real or not. They sounded good. I'm so curious. Now, if you came across this, this is a bit controversial because some scholars, like in, especially in like costuming and dress history, are now saying that a lot of that is fabrication and that although corsets were worn um, by the majority, they were absolutely comfortable. They were not causing the um, medical issues that you had mentioned and that a lot of that is um, made up well after the fact. Did you come across that at all? I didn't. I'm fascinated by that though. Almost like this was a uh, like it's an old wives tale? Uh, well, certainly to the extent that it's reported is a bit of a wives tale. Yes. Because certainly, and we've, um, I don't know if you ladies have had, but like worn a corset at some point or another, whether it be with boning or, or uh, I'm sure I've never worn one with actual like whale bone, but like the kind like with the metal or wood or whatever mm-hmm. they use. And it certainly can feel uncomfortable, especially the tighter you pull. But actually for the most part, when it, when they were worn regularly, they were not pulled tight like that. They were truly just a support garment, much like much like Spanx or even um, even just like an undershirt kind of. And huh. they were not made to um, like certainly they give you a nice silhouette in the same way that Spanx does, but they were not being pulled as tight or causing the distress that is so often reported. I was just curious, and the reason it was brought up is because I do. Follow through social media a few um, costumers, probably like mm-hmm. who do like sewing and that kind of sewing, like sewing influencers. I don't know whatever you, they would be called, like about it. but that mm. they get really um, frustrated, like angry mm. that this is so that this is a common um, that people when we talk like um especially like as a tool for female uh oppression that, that that's what a corporate corset represented but following the history of it it wasn't for that at all and it was really a support garment um that was quite comfortable and yeah no that's really interesting cuz i will tell you that i didn't see any of that that it was kind of you know it was a um an urban legend in terms of the pain, the extreme pain or the lengths that people would go to. What I did find was that um, it wasn't until 1908 that Dr. Ludwig Ophelwell took x-rays, like once the x-ray machine was invented, that he was able to take x-rays to prove that it was the corsets that were causing Causing internal damage. And that he then uh, took that knowledge and made a more flexible, comfortable corset. Interesting. Yeah. He's the founder. He's also the founder of Spanx. What? <laughs> oh, no, he's not. Oh, Julie, you looked at me like I was telling the truth. Well, you told that so deadpan. Holy. <laughs> no, I know that's the evolution and, like, of the corset is just the, just the Spanx from this doctor. It's just the Spanx, just which the Spanx. I mean, in today, they're not, I mean, there's nothing like, I would compare it to taking off a skate. Like when you take your foot or a ski boot or, right. um, you know, when you take those off and it's just, oh, it's just you're so freeing and so much relief. But it's not that they're uncomfortable when you're wearing them. But yeah. that to me is what Spanx are. 
they're not they're comfortable when you're wearing them but when you take them off and you just can let it all hang out it's there's something so satisfying about that tights in general i feel that way about for those who don't know spanx are uh an undergarment the most common kind is like a short that comes up like over your stomach and it's just like i would assume it's some sort of nylon that just kind of sucks you in there's no boning or anything like that but it's uh it's kind of like tight tights but in short form yeah thanks for that clarification i didn't realize there were people out there that didn't wear Spanx. i very well i don't really wear Spanx to be honest and that's not to say that i don't need to wear Spanx. i just ha- i don't have a lot of experience with them um but the kardashians back to julie's point they have their own line of yeah of skims now skims oh I really kim kardashian yeah hmm. And it's the same exact same kind of idea. Oh, okay. Skims. Okay, clever. Anyway, so whether it's true or not, <laughs> I mean, I totally went on a diet path because <laughs> because it keeps. I've seen it. I don't know. Well, I that's an, so I, that, I find that almost even more interesting. The fact that this is all just, uh, you know, like you said, a, a way to prove the oppression or symbolize the oppression of women in the Victorian era. I'm going to move on to Please to do. number two because this would be hard to fake or or dispute that it was painful, mm. which is hairline plucking. Ew, what is that? I don't even know what that is. Like of your head hair? In medieval England, women believed that less was more, basically, when it came to hair. And so it was very fashionable to basically elongate the forehead, which was considered one of the most beautiful features on a woman's face, was to have a very high oval forehead. Apparently, it was the rage back in the 1300s. To achieve this look, women would pluck their hairlines back to create like oh. a very high forehead and apparently their eyebrows as well. So nothing. You, so it was basically your eyes and then you had this big piece of, <laughs> piece of head with nothing on Just, it <laughs> and then and then uh, a receding and then hairline hair. and is it it's an individual plucking it gets a individual do you know the process well i mean works? i don't think they had come across waxing and everything is referred to as plucking so it was Ooh. an individual Ugh. plucking of the hairline julie do you have anything to correct me on <laughs> absolutely not that sounds horrifying doesn't it Similar to the 1990s having the Rachel, I guess the 1300s had ah. the George Costanza. <laughs> just, Where does that even I, come from? Like, who's decided that your forehead? Like, I've never even. I've. You know how everyone has like a thing they like. Like, I've I've never heard forehead. I've never heard even forehead. when you say I like my eyes or whatever. If anything, I feel like I've heard the opposite. Like, I know a lot of. Well, the women in my family, on uh, my mom and her sisters, all have very high foreheads, and the majority of them, almost all of them, have bangs. And I, so I right. feel like it's almost the opposite. People are covering if they've got if they feel like they've got too much um, forehead, forehead, too much well, and, skin to show. And I'm, you know, I'm playing with my hairline as we speak. Mm. I mean, and I'm looking at the unevenness of it. I suppose one other nice feature of that plucking it would be that you could have like a perfectly straight hairline. So you're for the hair pluck. <laughs> well, that's the only benefit I can see in a modern time. How ludicrous. Yeah, that seemed, that one's wild. Uh, this next one actually makes me, makes my stomach turn a little bit. Um, and we will post some, you know, with, with warning pictures. Uh-oh. Foot binding. Oh, Yeah. So foot binding started in the 10th century, um, popular in in Asia, in China. And it was, it 
became popular after a dancer, uh, Yao Niang, shaped her foot and did a performance, like shaped her foot um, like a half moon and did a performance with her feet in that shape. And apparently the Chinese emperor was mesmerized by this. And then the nobles started to follow suit. It became a, a sign of status because a woman who could bind her feet needed to be able to afford to stay home and do nothing. Oh. Um, it was a very long and hard process because you couldn't be, you couldn't go and you couldn't walk on them initially. So what would happen? So in an attempt to make their feet as small and as pointed as possible, they would fold their toes under and wrap them, which meant that to attain the desired look, deformities broken bones and lifelong disabilities were inevitable. The practice also produced a particular sort of gait that relied on the high thigh and buttocks muscles for support. Oh, because you're kind of like tippy-toeing. Nobody's invented heels yet, so why don't we just turn our foot into... Well, they were called lotus feet. Lotus feet. Because your toes would fold over, kind of curl around like a lotus. To call it a lotus foot makes it sound a little prettier than what it actually was. So query. Please. Once the toes were under, were they basically then walking on what would be like a your foot knuckles? Your foot, foot knuckle, knuckle is exactly what would happen. Oh, my word. The better bound your foot was, the more... Uh, the better suitor you would attract. And so for brides, if you possessed a three-inch foot, a three-inch foot, think about that for a second, um, it was called a golden lotus. It was respectable to have a four-inch foot, which was called a silver lotus, uh, but five inches and longer. Despite going through all that horrific pain and deformity, if, you're, if you couldn't get it any smaller than five five or six inches, you were dismissed um, with an iron lotus. Wow. Uh, the marriage prospects for such a girl were very dim. You would only attempt this if you were of a certain status. Like some people would probably have just been like, well, I can't do this. I think so. Because so a lot of people would begin this process mm -hmm. as young as five and six. <gasps> So it was young, young girls. However, when you think of the 1300s, you put your kids to work as soon as they could Help, yeah, walk, yeah. Um, you know, in any culture. So, you know, you really had to take care because it would, it, I, my understanding is it took about two years for them to become kind of, those are your feet now. You walk on them as regularly as you could. And it wasn't just in the 1300s. So in the 1600s, the emperor, there was an emperor who attempted to ban the practice with very mixed results. And in the 18th and 19th centuries, there were several anti-foot binding campaigns, which did prove successful, but it wasn't actually banned until 1912. <gasps> and I'm about to blow your minds. You already just did. There were companies that were still making lotus shoes, or sh they were still making shoes for women with lotus feet until 1999 i couldn't tell if you were frozen or just had nothing to say like no yeah. it's just in taking it in it's just like well like who who's doing that and why well but it's just such an arbitrary reason like that's gross to me like how i don't know and to you know to kind of pick it apart as a like okay sure the length of the foot shortens but wouldn't it be kind of like height wise kind of thicker you know because you've got your toes curled under you 
I don't know. Yeah, so it's a very interesting. I mean, we'll post photos of the the shoes. I don't know if we will. I'm well. The to be honest, the the really um, stomach churning part comes in when you when they when you see women without the shoe on. Yeah, exactly. The sh- with the shoe on, it's kind of you know okay, that looks weird. When you see the foot when it comes out of a shoe, the after being bound, it's uh, disturbing. Yeah, I won't lie. Okay, and so the. Or I guess there's a couple more I picked out. Um, now, for a very long time, there it's been it's been fashionable to be very pale. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so whether that's being someone of color who's lightening their skin, um, or a, a Caucasian who just yeah, the lighter your skin, again, it was a symbol of status because it meant that you weren't out in the sun working in the field. And so one way to do that in the Middle Ages was to uh, bleed yourself with leeches. And so women would attach leeches all over their body to suck out their blood so that they would, or they would um, bloodlet themselves so that it, it would make them paler because they oh would be draining, literally draining the blood from their face. And they're face. also like fainting at the same time. Yeah. I mean, I you know, there's a lot of uses for leeches, but... I mean, like I said, so um, it showed that you didn't have to get out in the sun and do much hard labor. Um, it was also to be pale was also a, a sign of innocence. It gave a look of innocence. Mm-hmm. Um, they would sometimes and women would sometimes create bleaches for their skin. I mean, when you can pull out a sack of leeches, that uh, sounds like an easy fix. What was interesting when I was reading up on this was that apparently Demi Moore had a beauty treatment in Austria that was putting leeches all over her to detoxify it they were detoxifying her blood well people do those those but. weird fish um bath things like where they put their feet and the feet and the fish eat their dead skin yes yeah i yes that's weird and i could i don't think i could ever do it because it's it's weird and i think just having fish nibble at your toes <laughs> is a bit unsettling to me it's like one of my worst fears when i'm actually in water so i mean people do lots of weird stuff I, the one thing I want, because I when you start talking about beauty standards and trends and stuff, like that one comes up for me because I am a fairly pasty white person. And I just find that so interesting because I would argue, I mean, I think there's lots of issues, you know, with race and colorism and all that kind of stuff. But right now it's not super trendy to be super white. Like, you know, people tan. Oh, bronzer is huge. And so I just find it so mm-hmm. funny because it's like has nothing to do with like what's just looking at a person, what's attractive. It's so society based. And yeah. so mm-hmm. is it because like you said, is it because it's a status thing that plays into it because it's a little bit harder to obtain yeah. in different situations, but it just comes to show it's not like, Oh, a person with bronze skin is more attractive. A person with pasty skin is more attractive. And then, I mean, I don't know if you want to, I don't, I hope you're not getting into tanning. I mean, I hope you are, but I'm going to bring it up. Is that like, you know, for me, it was like, I tanned when I was younger because I was so white and it's like, that's, putting harm on your on yourself for beauty standard that's also so arbitrary absolutely one thing that i that just pops into my head within our sort of north american culture maybe especially Mm -hmm. for canadians is that the reverse kind of became true where the tan became a a a sign of wealth because you could probably go on vacation Mm, that's a good point and Mm -hmm. like maybe that's too subliminal but i don't know there you're so right like it's culture to culture 
country to country and then within a country and within, you know, your community, it, it can change exactly to the next. Yeah. I watched a really short and interesting um, uh, investigative reporting about the skin whitening trade in today's age, mm-hmm. 2021. And in the Philippines, they say that one in two people, so half the population is currently using a skin whitening method of some sort. Now, some some of those are creams, some of them you ingest, uh, some of them are IVs. But the thing is, you can buy them pretty much anywhere. And there's a huge market for illegal and black market uh, cheap whitening creams. And the ingredient that whitens your skin is mercury. And so people are, you know, they're, they're buying these creams. And in this a uh, little report that I watched. They bought some from the market. You could buy them anywhere. They asked the person selling them, you know, are these safe? As far as I know, they're safe. And they tested them in a lab. And when they were testing them, the tester put gloves on and opened the windows because he was uh, because they were because of what they were expecting to find. And this is stuff that people are slathering on their bodies. Yeah. And the amount of mercury in these um, black market creams was. 42,000 times the legal amount of mercury in a product. 42,000. So they were coming through customs and being sold at markets. And the advertisements were also really disheartening um, on the the boxes or the advertisements for whitening skin products were to get rid of freckles. And they showed children the before and after. And what was stated by by people they were interviewing on the streets was that it wasn't to look white it wasn't to look a different nationality it was to um it was just to lighten your skin because it gave them a sense of or historically um to a lighter skinned person was not only more beautiful but more powerful and often came from from the more northern asian countries which tended to be wealthier mm-hmm. yeah absolutely I saw, you know, when I was in Japan, I was surprised at how much skin lightening treatment. Yeah, like it's it's there. It's with all the other makeup. And they have like great, they have great and cool skin products there that are often, it's as common as blushes oh, for us gosh. here in North America. Yeah. And so, I mean, bringing us in, that kind of brings us into today and beauty trends in 2021. But when I think of, you know, like morphing your body or putting arsenic and different chemicals and stuff on your on your face, like we literally do chemical peels. Those are, you know, we're like, that's something that we do. Think of lip injections and Botox and those things are the non-invasive things. There are breast augmentations and uh, liposuction. And there are some really interesting stats with the American Society of Aesthetic Plastic Surgery that liposuction is currently the most popular, which I was surprised by. Of all like cosmetic procedures, that's the most popular of anything? Wow. Yeah, like in, I guess, invasive surgery, like actual surgery. Hmm. That is surprising. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just reminded, sorry, I'm, we're going to keep going to the Kardashians, but- Please. Do they not have a line of like, not just the skims, but of the, the, it's like a a modern, modern binding 
yeah, corset. Yeah, they, they were on their inter some kind of a corset they had going on at some point. Yeah. Yeah, they really are promoting that. Like, it's so funny that some of this, like, it's not, it's not gone. I mean, foot binding, although, like, I God, like, some shoes, like, some high heels, no, it's not, per- well, it might, but, you know, there's more and more evidence to show that there is permanent damage caused by um, those of us who have, who wear high heels eight mm-hmm. hours a day. Cosmopolitan published an article in 2015 that said, uh, Kim Kardashian's daily makeup routine uh, used $1,700 worth of products. That is an extreme. However, the cost of an average woman's health and personal hygiene um, in terms to kind of update, you know, to not be a high maintenance, maybe not a low maintenance person is on average about $2,000 a year, which I looked at and I thought was very fair when you think of hair appointments. Oh, for and- sure. Makeup yeah. and that, if not, that's on the low side. Um, mm, yeah, not to include, you know, clothes and stuff like that. And I don't. I'm certainly not a high maintenance person, but I draw my eyebrows on every day, and I, you know, certainly spend money on beauty. And so, whether or not it's maybe now beauty is pain more so on the wallet than anything else, but it's still, <laughs> um, it's still painful, especially if you're, you know, getting body lifts. And stuff like that. Can I tell you what that is? Do you know what a body lift is? I found this out when I was looking into this. Um, and it's imagine putting on a pair of pantyhose, pulling up yeah. the pantyhose, except you're doing it with your skin. Oh. God. And then you tack it up somewhere? And then they tack it up. And they so like, so you've got, I would assume, minimal scarring, but you've still got scarring so how that is better than putting on a corset I'm not sure that's where I don't see us progressing in terms of beauty and suffrage Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. plastic surgery it's permanent it's expensive it's dangerous like things happen anytime you go under the knife um Mm -hmm. or there at least there's a risk there I shouldn't say it's dangerous necessarily but there's always a risk yeah for sure and it yeah and it's common I'm, I'm sure we all know somebody who's gone under the knife. Like um, some reasons, some reasons are more, more than just aesthetic. And I mm-hmm. can certainly appreciate that, but I definitely know people who've got lipo and neck tucks just oh. for aesthetic reasons. Yeah. Neck tuck. Is that what it's neck lift, neck lift. Is that what that is? Anyway, there's lots out there, but to bring it back to, how beauty is defined, which is a combination of qualities such as shape, color, or form that pleases the aesthetic senses, especially sight, I would like to leave our listeners with the idea that as long as you're happy and healthy, everything else is optional. Yeah. Yes. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be nice? (laughs) Well, I mean, I think this is a good example of just how, like, again, like the foot thing, like when you look at that from an outside perspective, it just seems out of this world. And yet, if you were in that society, it would have been very important to you, you know, in terms of your future. I just think like, it's just good to set yourself out of those, like, if you the most you can, like, not not all of us are going to be have a tiny waist and, and big hips or whatever the societal whatever is. And you just have to accept that the norms are fairly arbitrary. And it's it mm-hmm. nothing to do with anything 
except mm-hmm. for the time you're living in, the country you're living in, the whatever. One time someone looked at a beautiful performer dancing and decided that was the norm from then on. Like, it's just so arbitrary. Mm-hmm. It is. When I was in high school, there was a certain type of lip plumper um, uh, gloss that I would buy. And I would put it on and it would burn. And I don't know what type of reaction it had on my lips. but And yeah, it would plump them up for about, you know, an hour or so. And I would feel nice and pouty. And, but my lips would burn. And I was like, ooh, I know it. That's how I know it's working. <laughs> <laughs> my lips are burning. They're, they're shrinking again. And so much to think about as we you know, as we start to kind of come back together as society and what we choose to, you know, I know I haven't worn a lot of makeup in the last year. And, you know, besides, mm-hmm. I mean, it might not be mercury, but we're seeing more and more of the chemicals that are in a lot of makeups that mm-hmm. are potentially harmful. Um, maybe we can start rethinking beauty as pain, maybe a bit of pain, but like, what is beauty if it has to cost that much. Kristen, do you have some good news for us? I have good-ish news. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Good-ish is good. It's, not, it's, it's like, it's just an interesting topic. So I've just, I mean, actually it's very topical at the moment for Albertans. You know, today we reached our 70% vaccination rate. And um, meaning that as of July 1st, we're opening back up. No rules. Free for all. Hot girls, hot, hot back summer, as some would like to say. Um, is that a, and is so, that a trend? Is that a thing? What did you say? A hot, <laughs> hot girl summer? summer? Uh, hot back summer. Yeah. Hot backs summer. Hot back summer. All right. Um, and so I just wanted to talk about the fact that like, when I think about opening back up, I think some people are like, back to normal yay and of course as everyone will point out like no one wants anyone to be sick anything like that but I actually have anxiety heading back into um just regular life again and I so I was wondering if I was just kind of out to lunch and so I read an article from Vox um that basically said that as we head back into regular life there's kind of two types of anxiety and one is like kind of just your fear of you know yes, the rules have dropped, but am I really safe is is one kind of version of that. But then there's also um, a second category that they said is maybe arguably a little bit worth cultivating, which is, have we broken through some kind of societal norms that we might want to keep up with? And do we really want to go back to normal? Uh, the quote here is that they said Martin Luther King Jr. once said, there are some things within our social order, which I am proud to be maladjusted and to which I call upon you to be maladjusted. Things that I found really interesting was in this same article, you know, people talking about the ability to, uh, if people uh, have um, disabilities or special needs, it, it was easier for people to attend, let's say a conference. Whereas now as we go back to, uh, regular life, it's actually starting to disclude people. So it's just really interesting to consider. So um, I thought it was interesting by the end of this article, they were just talking about how do you deal with those feelings? And so this is kind of the, I guess, happy news of it. Um, and it's, it does point out for privileged individuals. So for some people, I mean, life didn't change too much during the pandemic, or depending on what kind of job you have, you just don't really have a lot of control over 
what types of activities you're able to partake in. But um, this cognitive scientist said, start by asking yourself what makes you happy and what are the activities you want to bring back? What is meaningful and what isn't? What are some boundaries you want to have in form in terms of work, family, and other obligations? And she actually suggests writing out a grid where on one axis you write down all the activities you normally do, and on the other axis you indicate what degree you must do them. For any activity that's an absolute musk, ask if it decreases that's not an absolute musk, ask if it decreases your well-being. If it does, you can discard it. And so I just thought it was an interesting time. Like I, I would just encourage people to maybe take stock a little bit because we're really on the precipice of going back to normal life. And I know some people that are just like, bring it on. I'm out. This was hell. Let's move on. But I know for me, there's, there's definitely nuggets that I would like to hang on to. And I would just think, I would just like to affirm that I feel that way. I think it's normal to feel that way. And I think it's a really nice opportunity and time to take stock. That's really, really well articulated. And you are op- absolutely not alone. Obviously, the article, yeah. <laughs> you know, it tells you that. But it's something it was you said it very eloquently. Uh, the way that I've thought about it in my head is that my biggest fear is that things will go back to exactly the way they were. And I think there were some absolute positives that came out of this that people need to not forget about. And I worry for myself that I will just kind of roll into old routines and back at the slog and, you know, Mm -hmm. the commute and just, you know, going through your days, like, you know, just on a wheel, a hamster wheel. And um, I I completely agree. It's really important to, there was somebody, there was a, an inspirational speaker who's, I think, big on Instagram had said, months and months ago, you know, in the rush to get back to normal, make sure it's a normal we want to get back to. Right. And I think you're absolutely right in that we everybody, you know, in the excitement and you want to kind of just jump in to really take note of of uh, what we are and aren't including in our lives. Very well said, both of you. And that gives us a lot to think about this week. Well, Did you find what you were looking for? 